Somehow clearer growing on your mind. You dreaming dead, participate with nightmares. Do it. Distraction dictates things of which you do inspire. Oh, that means your friends be like, wow, that one beats all of that, huh? You wake your pride up, pull it out, and then you act like, nah, it's just another. Just another. Just another. Listen Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Joseph Lambert. His books are I Will Bite You and Annie Sullivan and the Trials of Helen Keller, as well as a numerous amount of mini comics which are too um, abundant in volume for me to list all of <laughs> them, um, as well as the Sunday's anthology, the two. I think just the two most recent Nobrows, six and seven. Yeah, that's right. As well as a plethora of other things, including Moam, and really more titles than I can remember at my elderly state. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember either. Um, thanks for joining me today, Joe. Thanks, Robin. Um, I was I've been thinking about your work a bunch this week. Um. Just for folks, Joe and I have been talking about doing an interview for quite a while now, and I keep bailing on him for numerous reasons. So there's been a lot of stuff in my head for <laughs> for this. And one of the big things that really uh, has kind of always been in there is I'm really curious about your childhood because I feel like one of the really big things about your work is it's just so rooted around this kind of effervescent childhood experience. Mm, sure. And, it, and I'm curious about, like, your family life growing up. Normally I don't go right into that, but I feel like it's so core to yeah. who you are as a cartoonist. Sure. Um, well, it was, it wasn't, it was pretty standard, I think. I mean, it was lower middle class, um, you know, uh, small town, um, you know, uh, I had two younger brothers. 
Um, I had both of my parents most of the time. Um, and and uh, a lot of my, um, what do you call it, immediate family lived, lived kind of near me. Um, I don't think it was particularly traumatic, uh, you know, when you, uh, I mean, it was, I think it was typically traumatic, you know what I mean? Like, I think it was traumatic in the way that everybody's childhood is kind of traumatic for them in that, you know, you're learning new stuff all the time and, and every, every new thing you learn can potentially be really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, th- I think the reason why I, I'm writing so much about childhood recently or, 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 you know, why I always kind of fall back to that is because it's the, you know, it's the part of my life that I have the most hindsight on and the, and the part of my life that I have, I've had the most time to process. So as I'm trying to learn how to write, I feel like it's, uh, um, I don't know, it's like a, 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 a zone that I'm comfortable hanging out in you know what I mean where was this small town like uh Kansas okay Newton Kansas Newton Kansas Um, yeah middle what did your family do my dad um works at a factory uh yeah he works at a factory it's like um it makes what is it it make the the factory makes air conditioners for um RVs, you know, RVs are re- recreational yeah, yeah. vehicles. Um, I'm not that yeah. that too uh, highbrow Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I never know, um, but uh, yeah. So so that's where he works, and um, my mother has done a handful of odd retail jobs throughout my life. Now you mentioned you have two younger brothers. Um, were they significantly younger? Were you kind of like the bully big brother, or what kind of role did you have in that dynamic? Yeah, it was yeah, it was that. They um I have, one of them is 4 years younger than me and the other is 6 years younger than me. So they're only 2 years apart. So they were a lot closer with each other than I was. I, I was I was a, I had more of a parental role um after a while cuz my parents both worked a lot and so I was kind of um you know, I I, I took care of them a lot. And uh and I probably took on I probably had like a bigger head about my my you know role as their guardian than I I needed to but um that was kind of the dynamic for a long time I was when I was reading your work I, I was thinking more like there was one brother it was like you and one close brother but now it sounds like you're kind of watching your other brothers yeah brothers. totally I kind of romanticized the idea of having um like a really close buddy when you were when when, when you were a kid and having like a like a companion like I never had a dog um until I was in high school like we never had um a dog when I was a kid and I really romanticized the idea of about having like a, a dog companion like buddy that hung out with you all the time and I I was really um into the idea of having like a brother that you know you did every single thing with and and you shared all your secrets with um I'm really close to my brothers now but when I was younger I was kind of I mean I'm sure we played together when we were little, but the, the the biggest period of our lives that I remember is me kind of growing too old to play, or 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 too old to play the way they like. I was always a couple shades away from what they were into. Mm-hmm. So when I was into you know cartoons, they were too young or whatever. You know, and when I got older and got into like comic books, they were too young for comics and they were into cartoons. And you know, when I was into video games, they were too you know what I mean. 
yeah. there were always a couple shades behind me. So I kind of romanticized the idea about having like a really strong bond or, or, or a relationship as a kid and kind of getting getting to go on these adventures with, with a buddy and experiencing those kinds of things. So I think a lot of that stuff, when I do stories like that, um, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, living vicariously through my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> were you pretty insular? Like just, I presume yeah. you've been drawing... Yeah, totally. Time. I mean, um, I you know I was uh, I was really scrawny and 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 little, and um, I really didn't have any I didn't really have any aptitude for any type of sports or um, uh, any other kind of um, extracurricular thing. I wasn't particularly interested in anything academic other than reading. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. My, and 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 I always chalk it up to. My parents were my parents were really young when they had me, so they didn't quite know like you know what to do with a kid. So they let me they left me to kind of entertain myself a lot. And so I think um, you know drawing is just one of those things I really latched onto. And uh, you know I had a lot of time by myself to kind of really um, I don't know uh, just be cool with 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 entertaining myself and, and making stuff up and um, yeah yeah. So the solitary work life is quite comfortable for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. It it really is. It um, it's where I'm most comfortable, I think. But um, I don't know. I go through phases where it it really kind of bums me out. I I the older I get, um, and the longer uh, I'm a cartoonist, the more time seems to slip away from me. And and um, you know, like we, I just got back from SPX and. Uh, and at certain moments it feels like it's it's you know i just saw all these people yesterday and in other moments it's like i haven't seen this guy in five years or this group of people in a long time and um and when i think about the 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 years in between i'm just you know i'm just drawing comics i'm not i don't have a lot of stuff going on so i feel like the older i get the more this insular life is kind of weighing on me like i need to live a little bit more life it seems um, like you also you're part of like this circle of friends that like there's this really unique camaraderie I see uh, with you and like Charles Forsman and some of the other folks that you went to school with at the cartooning school sure yeah which you don't really see that often that really kind of tight really true friendship and that's you know I can see that kind of because you've all kind of moved away into different areas yeah, it's um, yeah. No, I don't know how that happened. I mean, we all. I think we were all in a similar place when we got to the school. We all met at, at the cartoons at CCS, and um, and I think we had all had a uh, a couple of years between um our first attempts at college and this. So we were all kind of in a place where we were ready for school. Like we weren't going to school out of obligation. We were ready to be there, so we were really um, positive about it. I think in a really, in a really, uh, you know, good headspace. Um, so I think we were. I think we bond. I think that was a, a good bonding agent because we were all just gung ho to, you know, go through the process together. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's an intense couple of years, so I think that really sealed sealed the deal. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> How old were you when you started at CCS? I was twenty. 
it was it was 22 i think yeah 22 and you mentioned kind of uh previous failed attempts was that do you count yourself as among as someone who tried college and yeah it was right after right? high school um right after high school i went to sva for a year um in new york and uh and i was in the cartooning program um then I ran out of money. I couldn't afford to live there anymore, so uh, I moved home after the first year, and um, I just kind of bummed, bummed around at my mom's place f- for like six months. Um, I tried to be a freelance artist in my hometown, and um, uh, like I painted a couple signs for people. I painted a, uh, a hot rod a mural in nice. a guy's garage, <laughs> and uh, I did a couple greeting cards. But I wasn't, I wasn't really. Nothing was really coming together. Um, so then I moved to Denver, Colorado, where my girlfriend, now wife, um, was living at the time. And I moved there to hang out with her. And uh, I fell in with some buddies who had aspirations of starting up a, a comic. Um, so I, I lived with I lived with these guys for a little bit. And, uh, and those plans fell through. So I moved out. And I started going to school at the Art Institute of Colorado in Denver. And I went there for a little bit, and um, they they only had graphic design. Um, I mean, they had they had a handful of other majors, but that was the only one that I was interested in. So I did that, but it wasn't at all what I wanted to be doing. So I dropped out, um, and then I got married, and then I worked at a preschool for about a year, and um, and then we we came to CCS. I uh, I was going to apply to the very first year that CCS opened, but. Um, Instead, I, we, I I proposed to my wife, so we we decided to take a year off and just and get married and kind of establish our life. And then the second year, I came to CCS in two thousand six. And that's a that's quite a big commitment for like for one thing for young artists themselves to go to the middle of nowhere in Vermont, but to also like okay, I'm starting my life with this other person and kind of yeah in Vermont. Totally. Well, you know, she was always really supportive, and when we had found out about the school, um, it, it just, there was, like, never a question that it would be good. Um, like, we, like, we were both like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Because, again, like I said, I went to those other two schools, and um, and even though SVA was awesome, uh, I don't know if it would have been, you know, exactly what I wanted, and, and, and the Colorado school was not at all what I wanted, so I was very unhappy with school, but I still kind of you know, wanted to learn from somebody who's smarter than me. So when, uh, when, when CCS, you know, came upon my radar, I, it just felt like a no brainer. So kind of for like two or three years of us, you know, being married and, and, and hanging out, me and Becca kind of both knew that it was probably going to happen and she was really supportive of it. She, she knew that it made me happy and, and she was, um, I don't know. She's, you know, she was up for it. And what the relocation for was okay going to like this whole new community. Uh, it took a while actually because when we were here, um, we were the second class, so there was only one other group of students that were kind of still figuring out how to settle into this town. And and as you know, this town's a little weird as far as the diversity of people. There's the the people who have lived here for a long time. The uh, old you know, hippies. The old hippies, yeah, the gener- and the gen- they've been here for generations, and and then the, there's a big group of new people. Besides the cartoon school, there's 
you know, there's some other artist studios and, and groups and theater groups um, and people who have kind of flocked to this area in the last decade or so. And um, so there's, yeah, there's a big, uh, um, you know, th there's a wide margin between the two kind of groups. And uh, so it was a little weird, it was a little weird moving here, but after, I don't know, as you know, as I got closer to the people in my class, um, Becca did as well, as well as the other um, people that were kind of peripherally involved. The other either cartoonist widows? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what'd you say? The other cartoonist widows? The other cartoonist widows, exactly. I mean, yeah. Not that, you know, they can only hang out with each other, but it, it, they, they, that did, they did have a lot to bond over <laughs> during convention season when we were all sleep deprived and frazzled and putting together many comics they could you know commiserate with each other about not seeing their significant others for months at a time um but it was good i i think that you know i mean we're still here and we, you know we have a lot of good friends now and you graduated what like four years ago i'm guessing 2008 yeah four years ago there we go um uh, the I'm really curious about the difference between SVA and CCS because I don't know if I've talked to anyone that's done both. Um, oh, sure, yeah. Because, I mean, it really seems like CCS is stuck in, but you've done this experience at SVA, and they do have, you know, some remarkable cartoonists working there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be fair, I can't speak on SVA's cartooning experience um, with any authority because when I was there I was only doing the foundation year which most students do like it's all foundation drawing foundation painting graphic design computer stuff so I didn't really do any specific cartooning slanted things um, other than occasionally slipping comics into my assignments for other classes so and I didn't really have any sense of the cartoon community that there um, really it was it was I mean yeah it was for me it was mostly painting and um and maybe learning a little photoshop stuff but uh, so in that regard it's it's night and day from ccs but i don't know I, i'm not a very good authority on that on this, uh, <laughs> sba's cartooning program i hear it's good though i mean isn't didn't dash Shaw uh, go through that program and meat uh, house tons meat of other house people. guys yeah all those meat house guys absolutely feral and yeah they, I mean, maybe being there um, kind of alerted me to the idea of self-published zine comics, I think, now that I think about it. Because they, they were all over the place, and I didn't know about them. Like, there was a bunch of student-published comic anthologies that were just floating around all over the place, like old meat houses. And, and um, there's this one called, like, Ink Stains that I really tried to get into. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't trying to, like go towards which one's better but it's more no, of, a, uh, of a quantitative look at like this is how these guys do it and this is how and kind of that that contrast. sure yeah absolutely no i don't know i'd love to talk to somebody about it i mean i, I feel like i've had a, a couple of conversations with people from sva but i really i still don't have a good idea of what like what kind of classes they take or what kind of um aesthetics that they really push i, I really don't know i wish i did i'd, I'd love to talk to some of those guys Growing up in a small town, um, how did you kind of discover comics and it sink into you? Um, um you know, I uh, 
I just listened to I just started listening to Drew's Inkstead's interview <laughs> he did, and, he, and he talks about those Garfield books yeah and um and I realized that that those probably had huge impact on me um I didn't have we were, we were relatively poor when I was a kid so I had like like half a dozen floppy comic books um that I got from the supermarket that uh I read a million times in a row and um but that was like really you know it was like a, it just I hadn't you know they're out of context and they're yeah. out of uh I, I just don't know what's going on. I just know that in this amount of pages, this happens. Anyway, um, so I had those, but really I think it was, you know, like Calvin and Hobbes collections and Garfield collections and um, Mad Magazine when I got a little bit older, uh, and, you know, newspaper strips. And then when I started to get a little bit of um, money, I would go to, we had a comic shop for a handful of years uh, that I would go to and I would get, just random issues of, of superhero comics. So I think, um, oh, and then I had a couple of buddies who had um, X-Men cards. Do you remember that whole oh, thing? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. holographic archangel card. Totally. All that stuff. Um, and I had, I, for a while, I had a couple of buddies who were significantly older than me, like three or four years older than me who kind of grew out of stuff. So they gave me their um, X-Men cards and uh, and that was kind of like the basis of my my superhero comics knowledge for a long time because they had the little synopsis on the back or the little summary of the character on the back and the power stats and all that. So <clears throat> I think I actually think that that's that, made, that played like a fundamental role in my like storytelling desire because I recognize that there's this whole world of of, of stories happening that I'm not a part of because I can't afford to get the comics. But there's this little card that gives you a little snapshot and you get this little image and you just get like a little taste of this world. And then in your imagination, you kind of fill in all the blanks. And I think that that kind of was a, a big, a big thing for me as a really little kid. Um, and your version yeah. was probably a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, I know, I, mean, I know for sure after getting older and reading some of that stuff, it's yeah, it was better in my mind. <laughs> I, think, I think you did. Um, an interview with CF, not this last one, but years ago you did one, didn't you do an an old a one with yeah, him along like three or four years ago? And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember him talking about the feeling he would get as a kid or or at whatever age, and he'd see a uh, like a movie poster or like a uh, like a trailer for a movie, but I think it was movie poster specifically in his example, and he would just imagine that movie and it and it you know all of the the, the majesty or, or just the amazing movie that he created in his mind and then actually seeing it and is disappointing or never seeing it and never really knowing anything other than what he made up and, and I think he kind of described that that's kind of how he wanted his comics to feel or something like that but I really um, I really liked that uh, anecdote or whatever because um, I feel like that's kind of how I developed a desire to tell stories was only getting bits and pieces of, of these other worlds that I knew existed. Is that something for yourself in the stories you create? Because, like, we talked earlier about how they kind of exist in this, like, childhood. Is, is that you just kind of, like, here's... It's all kind of coexisting and just, like, little particular chunks that you want to throw in and just kind of have fun and just leave it open like that? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, as you're writing, or as I'm writing, I don't have to... I mean, obviously, I'm envisioning a world that the characters exist in, but if it's 
if it's all kind of a um, generic, generic, if if it's all kind of you know a vague idea of suburban childhood or or of small town childhood, then I don't have to work as hard to create that environment for the reader. It's a little more recognizable than if I if I created stories completely out of, or if I create an environment completely alien to the reader. Um, and mostly that's just for me because I I'm still trying to find my footing as a writer. So I I I feel like because I don't have to um, create that. It's I don't know. I feel like I'm, I lost my train of thought, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I I was I, I was getting that. <laughs> um, just to remind listeners, I'm talking to just. Joseph or Joe Lambert um, about his books um, Annie Sullivan and The Trials of Helen Keller and I Will Bite You. Also for local Vancouver folks I should mention that um, there's a documentary uh, Cartooning School? God, Cartoon remember. College. Cartoon College. I was close. Which is actually going to be in the Vancouver Film Festival um, this week and next week and October's 4th and 5th, um, a student, a fellow student of Joe's, uh, Jen Vaughn will be up here to talk after the showings of those films. And you actually did the poster for the movie. Yeah, yeah, I just finished that. Yeah, well, that you, was fun. You drew in your sketchbook. <laughs> yeah. He, um, a couple of people, I've had a couple of jobs where um, uh, the people who hire me uh, respond to my sketchbook work because I post a lot of my sketchbooks on my on my blog and they kind of say that they want that style and a couple of times I've tried to recreate it just as original art just as like a flat piece of, of you know what on, 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 a, on a regular piece of paper but um, it's difficult for me to recreate that unless I fold the paper and, and or have it in my sketchbook so I just decided to screw it and do it in my sketchbook because um, I don't know because that's what you wanted. When I did the uh, when I did the story for Mom, um, mm-hmm. that's sort of in my sketchbooky style. And when I, when I say sketch, uh, it just means that I don't pencil it ahead of time. Um, you know, I'll I'll, I'll do whatever uh, fixing afterwards, but I don't I don't pencil ahead of time, and it's kind of spontaneous as far as the layout goes. But anyway, for that Mom story, I tried to. Uh, do it in that style and what I ended up doing was creating a little sketchbook just for that story it's like I think it's six pages and um so I just made like a little six page sketchbook just for that story and uh and that really helped get get in that space and I have to say for listeners Joe's sketchbooks are some of the most beautiful process drawings out there right now um it's like I kind of feel like they kind of your comics are one thing, and then your sketchbook drawings are something completely different, and really quite amazing um, to see what you've been able to do with with the work. Um, really Thanks, man. Understand just how how much, and like I know I'm not alone in that. Like a lot of folks really talk about like seeing your sketchbook drawings, seeing your sketchbooks, and just how amazing they are. And I'm wondering, like, do you kind of approach that in a different way? Than say your comic work, yeah, totally. And and the and the 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 better I get at understanding cartooning and comics and um, how to write them, the 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 further away they get from each other. I feel like when I first came to CCS, um, or maybe even a couple years before that, 
they were a little bit closer like my comics would be a lot more sketchy and my sketches would be a lot tighter or or a lot they were they were trying to tell more of a story or, or to be more illustrative or whatever um but as soon as i learned that cartooning is as far from drawing is um as uh you know writing is from calligraphy you know what i mean like that whole as soon as i learned that comics is its own thing and i have to treat it as um really differently than illustration my my sketchbook kind of became like this haven for the part of me that still just wants to doodle and um and now it's become like a, a place where i can both exercise those impulses that i don't want to put into my comics um the kind of overdrawing the, the over elaborate ornamentation or 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 whatever you know experimenting with color or whatever um i can i can exercise those impulses in my sketchbook but also it's uh i can i can i don't know i'm 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 learning how to write as i sketch and uh and that's become important so it's it's kind of circling back around to being connected back to my comics again do you mean by saying learning how to write by sketch do you mean like really trying to um and this is just my own kind of blabber out there is be able to tell more stories with the image and not necessarily rely as much on the written word that accompanies the image um yes and no it's okay. it's it depends at different stages um when I when I have the story in mind and when I know what I'm trying to express, then the sketchbook becomes a place where I practice and I try to get that image to convey what I want it to. But when I'm at the early stages of writing and I'm trying to come up with ideas or I'm trying to to um, figure the story out, it's really conducive to just doodle and let my hands move around and let that part of my brain work while the other part of my brain kind of crunches those numbers and figures out those details and sometimes it doesn't even matter what I'm drawing as long as as long as that part of my brain is um, occupied then the other then, then I can figure out story elements or, or, or you know everything else that isn't visual so sometimes they work together and sometimes they work kind of against or back and forth with each other I don't know it's um, yeah it's diff- it's difficult to, to, to articulate because it's it's, it's also up there. It sounds like it's really automatic for you. Right, yeah, yeah. One of the unique things, talk a little bit about this, is the, the color usage in your sketchbooks. And I'm wondering, like, when you're drawing and using colors, I couldn't figure out the way to word this. Like, I'm, like, making my notes for the interview, and, like, I write down, how do you see colors... And that makes no sense when I ask that. Uh, I realize that it's a it's a terrible <laughs> question. I apologize. But I I think what I'm going towards is kind of your approach to colors. Like, what what's going in there? Um, and I'm really I'm not asking a very good question again. I'm. Sorry. I, th- I mean I think I get what you're saying. Um, you know I don't. I don't know how to answer that because I don't because I've never because I've never really tried to articulate it to myself, um, or or to the point where I'm satisfied with the answer. I mean, I think. I mean, like, I think that I'm afraid to say that it's all just, um, you know, what's visually pleasing to me or what what makes the most sense is what are the directions that I'll go, and um, 
and I can't, I wish I could come up with something that's, that's a little bit more practical or less pretentious, but I, I feel like a lot of the coloring that I did early on was kind of a reaction to the stuff that I didn't like. And I think a lot of people kind of go that direction when they do alternative comics, they don't want to have it look shiny or, 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 you know, whatever. For me, um, specifically it was, it was a reaction to what I didn't like. And now it's kind of, um, you know, I'm still kind of slowly building a color vocabulary. So I, th I think I'm too, I think I'm too, um, uh, early in that, that, uh, I'm still in my, my coloring adolescence, I think to, to be able to really talk about it with any confidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't, yeah, I don't really, I still don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. It's like, I can't figure out what it is that I'm trying to ask. Because, like, you do something amazing with the colors. I mean, you'll pick specific colors in a piece where you'll do, like, one or two colors and then a lot of black. And just, like, it's really interesting how you're able to complement these colors with each other. And you really don't pick uh, stereotypical colors either. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of reacting against what I don't like. Because, yeah... yeah. Um, I will say this. I mean, any any if I could give any advice, it's always um, to you know let let some things go, like you know eliminate half of your palette or, or whatever. You know, just um, I've really f found that valuable advice that I've heard from countless other better illustrators and and um, artists is to you know limit your palette and uh, and work within those limit. Give yourself limitations and then flourish within those limitations. And I think that's I think that's really good advice. I know um, Brandon Graham's kind of the same way with his coloring where he will only use a specific palette and would have like for some of the profit stuff the colorist only limit him with a certain palette and it's been really interesting to see. Yeah, totally. Make people play in a different way. Now, your most recent book, we haven't really touched upon it all, which uses color in a phenomenal way. Um, Uniquely, Thanks. given the, the subject matter, uh, Annie Sullivan and the Trials of Helen Keller. Now, this is your first um, contained long work. Um, yeah. What about did you start working on this? Like, what was the kind of the process of getting into it? Um, you know, I just I just found my journal entry from when I started, but I can't remember. I, it was my second year at CCS, so it was either two thousand seven or two thousand eight. And, um, um, yeah, I was offered the job from James Stern. And um, when I was offered the job, maybe at a lesser capacity, at, at, uh, I was offered maybe to do one aspect of it. And um, somehow we came upon the idea of me doing the whole thing. And uh, somehow that stuck. And everybody was into that idea. Like, I, I, I had that confidence <laughs> to feel like I could do that. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't really like dive into it until, um, after I finished, after I graduated in, in the summer of, two, in the spring of 2008. And then I started writing, like, I think I wrote an outline before that. Um, and then after that, I kind of dove into the research and, um, and writing drafts and, and writing. And it, so it was about a four year process, three and a half, four year process. And, um, for the first couple of years, it was just um, research and, and figuring out how to write and and how to write this book. 
was it something you had known much about um, before getting into? Um, when we were when we were coming up with the idea, um, we, we know we wanted to have a woman because they were it's part of the series of biographies, and there they had been men up to that point. So we decided that we wanted to do a woman, and um, we kind of narrowed it down to Amelia Earhart or Helen Keller, and I had a little interest in both, but it was it was small uh, as far as what I knew about both of them. I had seen the the play The Miracle Worker, um, which is a play about her life, or her the, uh, her early interactions with Annie. Um, and I had seen the play a couple times as a kid and the movie. Um, my grandfather is a set designer, so he would expose me to a lot of plays when I was a kid. Okay. And he um, was really pumped about the movie. Um, he had acquired a copy and he, and he showed it to me. And... Uh, and so I had a kind of a vague idea about who she was and about her, um, about, you know, that initial part of her life, but I didn't really know much else, um, until I started research researching her, obviously. I remember the scene that really stuck out for me when, uh, I first started thinking about her, the scene that I remembered in the play, if anybody's seen it, is the, the dining room scene where they fight over the, Helen using a spoon, um, Annie really wants Helen to use a spoon and Helen's used to doing whatever she wants. And it's like a long 10 minute scene. And it's just in the movie, especially it's like an action scene. It's, it's, I believe it's all one take. And if not, it's a lot of long takes and it's, you know, them fighting and throwing each other on the ground and spitting water in each other's faces and throwing food and spoons. And so, um, and Helen's like eight years old or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's like eight or nine. Yeah. (laughs) And Annie's only like 20, 21. Um, so that scene really stuck out for me and that I think that's that's why I really um, wh- that's why that kind of became the intro to my book is because I really that was like kind of my jumping off point when I started writing it now were you used to working with a script or do you normally work um, the things together when you're doing a story it depends. A lot of my stories are silent, so it's not really an issue. Um, but a couple of them have loose scripts that um, you, usually I write in thumbnails. So rarely do I write a script and then approach visuals. Usually it's just thumbnails which have the words and the images together. This one you had uh, editorial support by Sturm and Lutz, or was it mainly Lutz that was your... It was Sturm for a couple of years, and then it was Lutz for a couple of years, and then it was both of them at the end. Um, so uh, at, at the beginning it was Sturm and, um, and I kind of approached it the same way it was I wrote, like I said I wrote a couple outlines but that was really difficult I mean the whole thing was really difficult but um, I really didn't get on a roll until I started thumbnailing it and I had to thumbnail it um, legibly uh, so that the editors so that the people at Hyperion could get an idea of what the story was going to be like um, so I did thumbnails at about um, like you know four by six inches um, so I essentially drew the book very roughly two or three times before I went, started the final art. That's a um, lot of work. Yeah, yeah. But it was good, though. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't. At the time, it was like pulling teeth. It was very difficult. It was, um, I was very kind of lost uh, in, in my approach to, to writing and, and to applying factual information to a story. I really feel like um, either public school failed me or I failed myself in public school because I never 
learn how to research. Like I never developed a way to research that was comfortable for me. So when I was researching this book and I actually cared and I, it really mattered to me, um, I had a difficult time uh, just kind of, you know, uh, hanging on, like, you know, it was like a desk where I, I don't know how to file. I don't know how to organize my stuff. I, it's just a, just a mess. It's just piles of, of information that I had to sort out. Um, so uh, I, I forget my point, but researching's not fun. Yeah. Well, the research, the research is fun, but it's, it's, um, it's difficult when you know that you're going to have to reread this book again because you, you don't, because I don't retain information very well. But so that's, that's, that's partially, the, the book was supposed to take two years and it ended up taking about four, like I said. And, um, and that's mostly why is because I just couldn't balance all of that. You know, and I, and I didn't have any confidence when, up, you know, this is the longest story I had ever done. And, and, um, you know, there's a whole thing of, of, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And, and, and that was, that was, you know, that four year period was all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had Jason and I had James to kind of, you guide know, the ship. guide the ship. Yeah. <laughs> pat me on the back or punch me in the back, whichever <laughs> on how, how tight the deadlines were. <laughs> um, the book is remarkable in itself, though. You really, artistically, there's some unique breakthrough parts to it that I think a lot of cartoonists, I don't think there are any cartoonists that wouldn't struggle um, as how to portray it, is how you relate Helen's experience being blind and deaf um, and what she's feeling, um, because you can't write what she's feeling Sure. Yeah. Or you could, but I mean, it it would seem like not right writing or drawing, and the way you drew it. And I'm really curious how you got to this. Maybe describe what it is for folks, and then kind of how you got to that conclusion as a way, because it's it's remarkable and it works. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um. Okay. Yeah. So what it is is every page that um every every time we see Helen's point of view. It's through. It's a. It's a black panel, with a white silhouette, and um, depending on what stage she is in her learning process, there are either symbols and shapes um, and objects in silhouette that she's experiencing, and and the color sometimes um, emphasizes uh, a mood or, or um, you know, helps her recognize what certain things are. And then as she as she develops uh, language a little better, you know, words descriptive words or um, uh, you know nouns pop up here and there and and her self-image kind of refines itself a little bit more as uh, as she goes along um, and that was kind of the first thing that I really latched on to um, like that was kind of the first idea that I had when I thought about writing this story because um, that's the kind of thing that I like I like that's the kind of thing I respond to in comics is that kind of visual representation of of information whether it's whether you're able to to write it by itself or or draw it by itself or not i like it when there's interesting um pro, you know problem solving like that i, I think that that's kind of what drew me to comics when i was younger so um you know i can't really speak to how i came upon i like i how i 
decided to portray it like I did because you know similar to the color thing it's just like what it's just an idea that I yeah. had and and um were there other see... particular ways you had tried that just yeah. did not I mean, work I think um if I had been given another 2 years and and did another draft <laughs> god forbid um I would have uh I would have tried to incorporate more abstract symbols that weren't like the way it as it is now it's really um it's really loose and it's really uh kind of you know primal imagery especially early on just like swoops of hands and and you know rough dry brush um shapes but i think i would have tried to and i and i, I would have ruined it i would have if i had had more time i would have just you know made a mess of it but i would have probably tried to incorporate more um you know kind of like a david b style you know the way he kind of repeats yeah um, you know, like he'll have a, a bird show up as his dead grandfather and then and then that represents you know uh you know family ties or 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 whatever kind of figure I, I forget all of the meanings that it has but it keeps repeating and then it morphs into different things and it becomes a monster and all that kind of thing i think i probably would have um tried to incorporate more of that and it would have been a mistake to do that but but um that's kind of a tendency that i probably would have had well it seems like it's prepared you for your next long work whatever it may be yeah man i i wish um I wish that it hadn't. <laughs> I, wish that, <laughs> I wish that it scared me more because I'm um, I'm afraid that I'm going to dive into another big long project, um, because now I'm I'm kind of, you know, I, I kind of know that path now and and, and I'm I'm excited. I'm eager to uh, to try to do it again and better. Um, uh, cause yeah, like I said before, you know, uh, there's so many things that I learned that I didn't know, and it's like you know. When I started out, I was like, "All right, here's a list of all the things that I don't know how to do." You know, A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And by the end of it, I'm like, "All right, you know, now I have a good idea of how to do X." You know, and and there's still this whole list of things that I need to learn how to do. And I feel like the only way to do that is to dive back into another huge, intense project. And um, and I'm pumped about it right now. I'm really excited about it. But I know that's you know, I know I'm being naive. <laughs> And, uh, and if you had, if you had, if we had had this conversation, you know, two years ago, I would tell you never again. I would tell you, you know, for the next, I don't know, however many books I do, they're all going to be very quick, spontaneous, um, short things. But now, I don't know, who knows? I definitely don't want to do, I don't know. Research? Not... No, I do <laughs> want to do research. That's the thing. That's the thing I do. I want, I, I'm, every time I learn something new, every time I read just a random article on the internet, or, 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 you know, in a magazine, I think, man, I would love to read a couple books about that and, and see if I can apply that to something. Because um, as it is now, I'm, regardless of my ambitions of doing a big nonfiction thing or a big long story, I'm still at the point where I'm kind of spent. Like, 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 I Will Bite You came out. And that was the culmination of a lot of stories. Um, or or, or a, a, a big period of my life and and Annie Sullivan came out and they both came out around this or they were both finished around the same time mm -hmm. and then they both came out within the last year and a half and um so now I feel like I have to like re refill the pantry like restock the the supplies like you know I have to go and live some more life before I 
I do anything substantial. So there's definitely going to be a lot of reading in my, or there is, there is currently, and there will continue to be a lot of um, reading with the intent to file it away. I guess, I guess that's how I should live my life <laughs> in a way, regardless. I don't know what. You keep a pretty good regular journal then. Um, I go up and down. Yeah. I go back and forth. Um, I've been traveling a lot this summer, so I've been slacking. Um, and I, I refuse to do it when it feels like an obligation. So it's a I, uh, I'll just drop it. I'll just, I'll just leave it. If it feels, if I, if I'm pulling out hairs to stay awake at night so that I can complete an entry, I'll just, I'll just stop. Thinking back to earlier, you mentioned, we talked a little bit about you being the older brother, um, and now just kind of looking at this through the lens of the Eddie Sullivan story, did you find yourself connecting with her uh, and her experiences as kind of an older orphan sister and her experiences with Helen um, as a young woman helping this young girl? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was that was the thing that carried me through the whole thing. Um, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, and again, if I had another couple of years to work on the book or, or, or another couple chapters um, or God forbid a sequel um, <laughs> there's so much more about her Annie Sullivan's younger life that really intrigued me and appealed to me I mean she had other siblings her father was her mother died at some point I forget why um, I mean she got sick but I forget what it was specifically but her father was like an alcoholic and he couldn't hold down a job and all of his other relatives had wanted nothing to do with him so she was put in a position where she kind of had to deal with her siblings as well as you know make a name for her or, or, or you know fight to have her own way and her own personality and um, and then at, at different points she lived with different relatives and she has a really interesting life um, just in those first you know 10 years or whatever and uh, and so that and, and, and reading that is what really made me feel like um, I could I could write this book because because uh, that's the stuff that I like that's those are the kind of relationships that I find um, interesting and I can have a passion for so yeah definitely and then and then again like you said her relationship with Helen was very much a sibling relationship and there was something that I didn't kind of clue into until um until I really started thinking about how young she was when she showed up at the Kellers and how out of out of uh, out of her element she was. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. One thing I was thinking about, kind of looking at your work and kind of running through my head, is I realized, in one sense, your work is very um, you challenge yourself artistically, uh, really pushing all our boundaries. In another way, there's a certain safeness. I find your comics um, and maybe not safeness, safeness is the right word as much as um, age accessibility sure is that something you're kind of your work how am I putting this dip diplomatically um, your work isn't ruffling feathers sure yeah yeah I understand um, <clears throat> I think um uh, like I keep going around to I feel I'm not I'm not terribly confident as a writer so when I write a story I feel like it has to um, has to at least make sense and be clear and and um, I know that's really elementary and basic but I feel like it's a difficult thing and I, I feel like you know there there are certain people who don't accomplish that um, and I certainly didn't accomplish that for a while and so um, in my desperation to do that I think I don't 
I probably don't take a lot of um, story risks as far as doing anything that's terribly challenging. I guess what what I'm trying to say is like I don't see you doing a story like the end of the fucking world, like what Charles sure, no, is doing. Right, and it, and and the thing is that's the kind of thing. I mean, I love that story that that Chuck's doing, and I and I respond to that kind of thing, and I do, I do feel that those stories are in me, but um, I don't think I'm confident enough yet as a writer to kind of let myself <sighs> um, I don't know I I, I, uh, I want to do that kind of stuff, but I think right now I'm, I'm still kind of finding my footing so I, I don't I don't think I challenge myself enough to do something that won't be appealing to you know, a wide, a wide, but at the same time, I, I, I never think, I never eliminate things from my stories thinking that it won't be appropriate or thinking that a lot of people won't respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying though. And I never, I never, obviously the Annie Sullivan book had to be, um, at least appropriate, at least. Yeah. I mean, it's made for appropriate. Disney Hyperion. But um, you know, Sturm drops the end bomb in Satchel Page, And, um, I think there's. I can't remember if there's anything in Houdini that might be risque, but um, they never had any problems with um, any earlier drafts. There's a little bit more attention on a death scene in uh, in Annie Sullivan, and um, I mean, I'm sure I could have thrown in some foul language, but um, but yeah, it, that had to be relatively kid friendly. And I will bite you it was just it just happened that way. Yeah, I um I don't know. I love discomfort in stories like I really respond to that in Chuck's Chuck's book uh, The End of the Fucking World um, but I just don't think I'm comfortable enough yet as a writer to make the reader uncomfortable mm-hmm. it feels weird to say now that I'm saying that I feel like that's yeah that's my next challenge <laughs> oh no what have I gotten you into yeah <laughs> the end of the goddamn world yeah God damn. Um, thank you, Joe, for taking the time to chat with me today. We've yeah, man. It was good. Here. Uh, just a reminder, folks, I've been talking to Joe Lambert. Uh, his latest book is Annie Sullivan and the Trials of Helen Keller, which we've been discussing. Uh, also, I Will Bite You, which we didn't really talk about much, unfortunately, but I highly recommend checking out. It is a fantastic book uh, for the fantastic gentleman at... Um, Secret Acres. Secret uh, Acres. I was very excited when that book came out and went and bought one off of you, and then uh, you were too hungover to draw on it, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's talk about that. I remember that, too. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, when you go to a convention, check out um, Thanks, man. Joe's minis and whatnot. And are you in the uh, Cartoon College documentary? I am not, thankfully. Not in it. <laughs> I requested not to be, uh, um, well, for a number of reasons. Um, again, I just I wasn't confident in what I was talking about because I was a second year student at the time and I, I didn't know what I was talking about. But also, um, vainly, I didn't want to be in it because uh, I had uh, long hair at the time, <laughs> and uh, or at least that's my that's my that's my vain reason for saying so. I love that. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Thanks, Robin. We've only just oh, yes, indeed. I like this. I like this. I like this.
From the intro, you know I'm so influential Cause I'm glowing like a candle The focus is so essential Dog, what you trying to get into? A steady to flow, ready to blow Like snotty tissue, they snitching like Donnie Brasco I'm counting like Monte Cristo The ghetto full of betrayal like Iago and Othello Your fellow neighbor will slay you They'll smoke you like cigarellos Police want that info to grill them like portobellos And murdering instrumentals Cause the rap with the conscience of villains Killers and monsters So we're feeling the honor So still fulfilling the promise So nice to kill them with kindness Hitting like Muhammad Ali, you more like Tatiana. All this is probably karma. You dishonored the father, whether it's God Almighty or the Almighty Dollar. We follow the prophets like Islamics or the Dalai Lama. Your bullet points so hollow they could probably pierce body armor. Look in the scope, my people still in target. Smile on my face, tears of a sad clown. Feeling out of place as I whistle a cab down. If I tip extra, can I huff a cig? Blow my smoke out the window, dropping ashes on the bridge. Uh, I'm in New York now, like Akeem and Simi was. Trying to get the lobby door open from a semi-buzz. I just want to go to the slum and throw my money on the floor like the notorious bum. Uh, build a home, teach a class, start a revolution. Free the mind, heal the body, talking evolution. This that black Elohim Anunnaki rap. That Farrakhan, Akeem Olajuwon, Gaddafi rap. I dedicate this to my niggas in New Orleans. Rockin' black and gold stocking caps and fleur de lis shocky hats. I'm in the courtroom screaming, who that on the devil? Serving gumbo with a shovel, dog. I'm on another level. Me and Kwali come together like two pieces of metal. We magnetizing the ghetto. Yeah, now here's the memo. I'm a rebel without a cause, a bezel without no flaws. And shawty, you straight, but you look way better without no draws. Let's sweat out this alcohol. Bet I'm about to ball and never let up. Look how I just crept up without applause. Fed up with all the frauds and left y'all without a job. The center of attention, this is clever. But I'm Pal Gasol, really though I'm LeBron Really don't got my mind on this new school of rappers I would really go Columbine and throw up the diamond sign Boy, you know I'ma shine, flow is in Ramadan Cause couple years ago the game had they pajamas on But now they on my dick, man, I should throw a condom on Ay, cause a nigga coming raw like I ain't got one on And I ain't stopping nor copping, no please I just like a low squeeze, dog I'm on a higher level, I'm on top of nosebleeds Niggas say they sick, but when they rock, they don't sneeze Like the nigga on the block Waving his glass, but won't squeeze. Please. Hey, yo. Hold your applause until the ceremony end. You're surely, truly blessed yet again. A noble planted. Super magic, abracadabra kid. Mysterious master gym, black a pant, arrowhead with the long barrel stem. And his apparel fresh. Harbor light shining out the black power grid with the black power grip. And pure power don't power drip. Push the cellar ceiling up and make the tower tip. The Gladwell point, the Babylon polish. All about nothing, where it's all about the dollar. And mansions on the fault line of a shaky market. The devil at the dance hall, thirsty for a partner. Get off him. There is not a parcel or a portion or a measure of a fortune. More awesome, gorgeous. The funky four horsemen and one more with high tech on the score. One small, of course, you're welcome. Thanks, appreciation for your participation. Special dedication. Celebration, bitches. Bitches.